There we go. Good morning, everyone. If you want to pick up an outline, you're welcome to, to follow along uh, this morning. But let's pray, and then we'll, be, we'll begin uh, a bit of a summary overview of a very difficult uh, topic. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us in Jesus Christ, Lord, our hope of being rescued, Lord, from hell. We thank you, Lord, that he has paid the price for our sin. And Lord, we pray this morning as we, as we ponder in a survey fashion the difficult doctrine of hell as taught in Scripture, Lord, that you would help us to not only have a greater appreciation, but Lord, may you help us to have a greater concern for those that are lost. And Lord, we continue to look to you and your grace, that you would save sinners in our midst. Father, many of us have, as you know, family members who still do not yet believe the gospel. Uh, many of us have family members who have died in unbelief. And Lord, our minds have difficulty comprehending uh, what the Bible says about those that will suffer uh, for eternity. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us as we work through some of these issues this morning. We thank you for your word that guides us, and we thank you most of all for the solution that you have provided uh, for the problem of sin uh, in this world. And we pray your blessing upon our time this morning in Christ's name. Amen. Okay. Uh, if you want to, if you do have your outline, you can follow along. And this is not intended to be like an exhaustive class, but I tried to cover over some of the main points uh, as we will consider, again, this difficult topic this morning. Uh, first of all, I want to thank uh, Ray Bromley, who filled in last week, uh, both in Sunday school and in Sunday evening. Uh, thank you, Ray. Big help to me so that I could get away with uh, my family. Uh, I discovered that in California, there are 7,000 people that have not yet bowed the knee to Baal. <laughs> we had a wonderful trip. Uh, my wife and her family, uh, sisters and brothers, still live in that area, Bay Area, so we traveled up there. It was really nice, comfortable weather. Uh, we went to a birthday and a wedding shower while we were there. And then I actually was not planning on this, but I ended up uh, preaching at a church where my former co-elder that was with me in the Philippines, along with Joey, uh, is serving, and he's like a stone's throw from the Apple headquarters. Uh, but, you know, they're in kind of an old forgotten part of Sunnyvale, and uh, he's, he's faithful, right? He's preaching the gospel there, and we had a wonderful time uh, from that perspective. So next week, I hope to return back to our theme, Doxology in the Darkness, okay? Uh, I'm just taking a week break, uh, just a one-week break uh, for this Sunday, but later perhaps we can come back to the theme of hell in a future lesson, I'll just say up front when we come to this, this topic, I am just your basic, average, traditional Christian when it comes to the doctrine of hell, right? I mean, in that sense, I'm, that's what our church is. I don't have any intentions of, you know, leaving that, that position, that particular view. But as we will look at today, there are many Christians today, many evangelical Christians that are no longer, uh, shall we say, satisfied with the doctrine of hell. It is a difficult doctrine to, to ponder. All right. In Matthew 8, verses 11 through 12, we read these words. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I mean, that the first part is beautiful, but the second part is terrifying to even contemplate 
uh, what that means in its full reality with what Jesus said. Uh, I'm not going to talk this morning a lot about the um, parable of the rich man and Lazarus, whether it was a parable or not. Um, but someone gave me a book, and uh, if you know the church father, John Chrysostom, he actually wrote a book called On, poverty and, uh, On Wealth and Poverty. I've only read part of it, and the parts that I've read are extremely convicting. Uh, you, may, you may not even like some of the things that he says, but he preached four sermons on that topic. Uh, and again, I, don't, I may not agree with everything, but he certainly has a lot of wisdom uh, when it comes to this particular topic. So as we move along, we have a microphone. You can share your thoughts. Uh, we have about five minutes or less than five minutes per point. I don't know if we'll get through them all, but we'll try. Um, Sir Arthur Conan, this was a, a quotation from a book that I read, a part of the book I read this past week called Hell on Trial. You can buy it for like $3 on Kindle. And it's filled with each chapter by different well-known theologians that you know today. Um, uh, and it's been a very helpful book. But the first chapter is about Al Mohler. Ferguson has a chapter and others. He noted here that uh, the author of Sherlock Holmes once wrote, quote, Hell, I may say, has long dropped out of the thoughts of every reasonable man. And that is definitely what uh, the elites of the Victorian area of Charles Spurgeon, right? they didn't believe in hell anymore. Everything was only metaphorical. And I have a quote later that I'll read to you uh, from Spurgeon. But number one, there are people who think hell is an old myth, so there is nothing to fear. Right? We, I think we all know this today. Uh, and there are reasons, there are maybe modern historical reasons to kind of explain this. Something that is interesting to me is that many ancient uh, peoples and cultures, they had no problem believing in a god or gods that were angry with them. Right? Their struggle was to believe in a god that would love them. And we're the complete reverse of that in our modern society. Uh, it's, it's actually unthinkable for, even sometimes for Christians to think uh, that God could actually be angry uh, with sinners who have not embraced the gospel. And of course, in this context, the rise of the uh, new discoveries in science and all of those things, uh, the advancing technologies that we see, people have come to the conclusion that, hey, if reality cannot be explained by all of our scientific ideas and beliefs, then it just can't be true. And so uh, we live in a day where many people have just dismissed not just myth, not just hell, but many things in the Bible as being just myth, and they were used to control people, but we no longer believe that. Moeller quotes a Protestant theologian, right, known as a liberal, capital L Protestant theologian named Rudolf Boltman, who explained much of the Bible, not according to what it actually said, but he filtered it through his presupposition, his assumption that science was the higher way to determine everything, right? And if the Bible could not be determined or explained through science, we had to, we had to say, well, this is just a myth. And of course, he believed uh, that not only hell, but ask miracles and the divine Jesus, those were all simply myth. And Moeller quotes from Boltman in the first chapter of that book, Hell Under Fire. So Boltman didn't just attack hell, he attacked many other things. And incidentally, the same thing is going on today for June Pride Month. Right? I, I read a news article a few days ago that said that the FBI is actually monitoring churches for how they're responding towards Pride Month. I mean, some of us have come to the point where we don't even trust the FBI anymore in some of these areas. And it's quite sad. But it's definitely not popular to talk about hell today. And yes, it is probably true. Many churches, they just avoid it altogether. Okay? Two, and by the way, any 
thoughts, questions, uh, please raise your hand. We'll get a microphone. Uh, you, can, you can add your thoughts too. Two, a pastor or Christian may use the doctrine of hell to manipulate others. I mean, that, that is a possibility, right? Uh, the gospel only becomes a fire insurance to get people in uh, out of fear. Now, I'll say this. It may not be the best motive, but if people get to heaven by fear, I'm still fine with that. Okay? I, honestly, I am. It doesn't, I, I think people are saved that way. Uh, they should be saved with better motives of the love for God and so on. But if, if they're in that way, hey, I am fine. Martin Luther, of course, complained about the fundraising under Tetzel, right, uh, to get people out of purgatory. You, you give money and you can get, get released and all those things. So even, even conservative pastors could, could perhaps sometimes manipulate people with kind of the doctrine of hell and use it as kind of a scare tactic. Sinclair Ferguson wrote about what pastors should preach. And a summary of his chapter in that book, he just lists several things. We can tell people that hell is real. Okay? That's one thing that should be obvious, right? It is as characteristic of Jesus' teachings to warn about the prospect of hell as it is for him to describe the high privilege of heaven. Both are true. And by the way, if you deny hell, you essentially are going to have to deny heaven somewhere, right? Because of sin, hell becomes a necessity um, in that sense. Hell is terrible. That's the second thing that any pastor can tell people. The New Testament descriptions, and we've only read one this morning, right? They are terrible descriptions to read when we think about what Jesus says about hell. Weeping and gnashing of teeth, destruction of body and soul, eternal fire, condemnation, suffering under the wrath of God, the blackest darkness away from God's presence, and on and on. So, we can also tell people, right, that those who do not, do not repent of their sins and trust Jesus Christ, that they are going to spend eternity in hell. I don't know if a person that dies, I don't know for sure if they're in hell or not, right? Uh, I don't know if they, they repented at the last moment, but God knows everyone who is in hell or heaven. Uh, and, and that's his determination, that's not mine. But we speak on behalf of God, and we are told, we are told to tell people, right, that hell, we're warning them uh, in that sense. Um, and then he, Ferguson gives a fourth point. He says, most importantly, in expounding and applying the biblical teaching on hell, we must emphasize that there is a way of salvation, right? That God delights in saving sinners. Three, there are people who think that nearly everyone will go to heaven. We're, th this seems to be becoming more and more common today, but it's not, it's not a new belief. Uh, it actually goes back into the early part of the church, but... Uh, when, when this is believed by people, it certainly presents a false hope. Much of it today, uh, by people that believe this, it's, it's kind of based on wishful thinking. They may not even know what the Bible says. They don't really care. Uh, but everyone who, who passes away, right, they're a saint at their funeral. They're the nicest person in the world. So that, that, that probably shouldn't surprise us that people think that way. It's almost a default way of how modern people think. A second reason is related more closely to what we call universalism, and this is like a theological statement where people actually believe that most people, if not all people, will be saved. Like hell is an empty parking lot, right? They believe that God created hell, but basically it's mostly empty. I mean, certainly Adolf Hitler and Joseph Stalin and Pol Pot, they're probably there, but nobody in my family is there and none of my friends are there, right? It's, it's just the people that we don't like. Universalism is not a Christian doctrine. 
right? It, it's not, it would not be true in the Old Testament, and it certainly would not be true in the New Testament. I don't believe in it. I, I already told you I am a traditionalist when it comes to, the, to belief in hell. I think hell is real. I think it's eternal. I think it's terrible. In fact, I have a quote that I might get to later. It's so terrible. I mean, I have a great quote by John Calvin that we can't even really come to terms with explaining it in human language in this world. We're finite creatures and we're discussing something, whether it's God or hell, that, that is, there is something there that is beyond our ability to fully understand it. Now, in the early church, uh, Origen, he was a church father, and he was a brilliant church father. He was an amazing scholar, but he did have some odd beliefs about certain things. And he believed that in the victory that God uh, accomplished in Jesus Christ in making all things new, he was convinced that everyone would be saved. And he was also convinced that all of the demons and even Satan would be saved. Okay, And so... The church met and talked about that, and they had a council, and that's where they later uh, clarified some of the teaching on hell. And they declared his teaching heresy. Now, I hope Origen's in heaven, right? In church history, most people believe that he was a believer, but if you teach what he taught after the church kind of made this final interpretation that uh, you're definitely falling into heresy. So I think that's a gracious way to look at that. Whether it's right or wrong, I don't know, but I hope that Origen uh, is in heaven. Four... The old, so three, we do not believe, right, that everyone is going to go to heaven, right? That's just a simple statement. That, that would betray the historic kind of Christian traditional understanding of what hell is. Four, the Old Testament does not present a full understanding of hell. You know, perhaps if we, I don't know if we can draw it this way, uh, but maybe I'll draw it this way. I'm going to draw the, the concept as, as dotted circles for the Old Testament, and this in my mind, it seems to me that the, it's not until we come to the New Testament that we get really the fuller, the clearer picture. Uh, I would not go primarily to the Old Testament to try to demonstrate the doctrine of hell. Okay? The, definitely the seeds are there, and, and there are many good authors that have written. There's a chapter in this, chapter 2 in the book I mentioned, Hell Under Fire. It talks about the Old Testament concept of hell and what people thought uh, during the Old Testament era. And that chapter is written by Daniel Block. Block gave several, uh, he gives several different words in that chapter, and I'll, I'll, I'll present some of them to us today. One concept or one word in the Old Testament is called the grave. Another one is called the pit, the trap, the earth or the netherworld. That's just the regular word for earth. Sheol is a distinctive Hebrew word. That is sometimes translated as death or place of death. Abaddon just means place of destruction. But again, Sheol is a distinctive Hebrew word. And in the Old Testament, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, the belief seems to be that everyone who dies goes to Sheol. Uh, the righteous who have died and the wicked who have died, they all go to the same place, and it's as if they're waiting there. Okay? Uh, so the, the Old Testament is not as clear as Jesus and the New Testament. William Mounts has a short article where he talks about in the New Testament, the word Hades appears only eight times. And in Acts 2.27, he points out that the translators translated Hades as not Hades, but it's a quotation of the Old Testament. You will not abandon me, the NIV says, to the realm of the dead. And Mounts uh, he, he's asking the question, why did the NIV switch from grave to the translation realm of the dead? 
And he's been on translation committees before, and he said, I, I wasn't part of this particular discussion. But then he goes to talk about Sheol and what that meant in the Old Testament, that that's where all of the people went when they died. And he concludes in his short article that the, the definition of the translation to the realm of the dead that the NIV gives is actually a good translation. So there's a lot of words and concepts behind this. And um, if we're not too certain about some of these specifics, we need to be careful not to be too dogmatic until we at least read and uh, refresh yourself. Hey, look at the, you know, the confession of faith, the, the last two chapters. If you want to I stole it from the classroom, I'm sorry. Um, but the last two chapters talk about the final judgment. It's, and it's a short summary. It's not that long. Uh, you can look at that. Uh, it's pretty sobering to, to think about that. Uh, that's all I'm going to say at this point. Uh, it seems to me, I guess, that when Jesus Christ rises from the dead, this concept changes, right? Uh, it, when Jesus rises from the dead, those that were waiting in, whether it's Hades or Sheol, whatever that means, they were taken to heaven to be with the Lord. And so every believer that dies today doesn't go to Hades or Sheol. You go directly to be in God's presence. And so the resurrection of Jesus Christ does have a profound impact on how this plays itself out. This is almost like, uh, in some ways, it's almost like a reverse purgatory. You ever stop thinking about that, right? They were waiting for their final uh, judgment. Now, there will be some people today that would say that no one is in hell. We're waiting for the second return of Christ, and then they will be thrown into hell. Um, I don't, I'm not even sure what I think about that right now because I haven't, it's not fresh in my mind. Five, Christians, and then notice I put in parentheses, Christians in parentheses, misunderstand hell because they misunderstand God. Okay? That's, I think most of us believe that, but if we have a misunderstanding of God, right, that will definitely lead to a misunderstanding of sin. And that will lead to kind of a redefinition of what hell is, hell is actually about. Those three are all connected. And they're, they're, they're connected in, in different ways. But if, if my view of God and some, like his holiness and his justice, if it's off and it's not, it's not accurate, and usually when, when you're off in one area, you overemphasize, right, the love of God and things like that, then I may not take sin as serious. And so their, hell is really not that threatening uh, to people. Uh, and so on. So that's just a, a big picture statement. Uh, if my view of God is not balanced, if it's not in four, I don't have to understand everything about God, right? Uh, I'm not claiming that I understand everything about God. But if the Bible tells us something about God, then I should believe it, right? Even whether I fully understand it or not, okay? So we should be submissive in that sense to uh, the Word of God. But a lopsided understanding of God, right? And today, the lopsidedness is, is on the love of God. We don't want to react to that and have an, an, a lopsided emphasis upon the wrath of God. They're both true, aren't they? One question I would ask for you is, is the wrath of God an essential attribute? Yes. Think about that. Theologians have given different answers to that. The love of God is definitely the essence of God. Is the wrath of God his essence? I'm not going to give an answer today, but I know that John Frame talks about that in some of his theology books, uh, and it's quite fascinating. Yes? Okay. Do you have a verse to, search to help us with that? Okay, so we're, justice is the attribute, wrath is an expression. So wrath is not an attribute of God? Okay. So that's, a, that's a, an important clarifying distinction from what some of you were saying earlier. It may not be, a, a, it may not be an attribute. Okay, yes, uh, Sister Thelma. Yes, 
There's a microphone coming right there. Okay. Thank you. Seoul. There's a place in Asia called Seoul. Right. No. Is that a place of hell? Dr. Thomas over here. I mean, Boswick, I'm sorry, has been there. I've never been there, but someday I might take, take someone with me and see it myself. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that the people that live there would Thank think you. that that is hell. Uh, maybe, maybe it's just a coincidence of similar pronunciation, I don't know. Um, six, in the Bible, Jesus is the one who warned about hell the most. You, and I think you know that, but the philosopher and atheist Bertrand Russell, right, he says something interesting. He says this, there is one very serious defect to my mind in Christ's moral character, and that is he believed in hell. I mean, it, it, you have unbelievers testifying to what the Bible actually says. I do not myself feel that any person who is really profoundly humane can believe in everlasting punishment. That's the essence of what many evangelicals are struggling with today, even pastors, to redefine the traditional doctrine of hell. Right? It, 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 it's happening. Okay? Um, C.S. Lewis said, there is no doctrine which I would more willingly remove from Christianity than this if it lay in my power, but it has the full support of Scripture and especially of our Lord's own words. It has always been held by Christendom and it has the support of reason. Right? So we can't abandon that traditional doctrine in terms of the core elements. I, I don't think I have any authority to, to redefine it. Randy Elkhorn has written some excellent things on this topic. If you've never read anything by him, uh, he, has, he has just some really wise statements and just the, what, what he wrote. Uh, I forgot the name of the book, uh, but he, I would read him uh, if I were you. Okay, Jesus gave so many graphic uh, descriptions of hell. Uh, here are three, Matthew 10, 28, Matthew 13, 40 through 42, and Mark 9, 43 through 48. Um, one author said, Jesus could not have painted a bleaker picture of hell. Uh, he, he spoke the truth on that. Okay? Um, but as Lewis noted, he said, if you disbelieve in hell, you really have to disbelieve in heaven because, in the, because of sin, right? The two, the two now exist. Dorothy Sayers wrote about this, and she mentions, she says, there seems to be a kind of conspiracy to forget or to conceal where the doctrine of hell comes from. The doctrine of hell is not medieval priestcraft for frightening people into giving money to the church. It is Christ's deliberate judgment on sin. We cannot repudiate hell without altogether repudiating Christ. Uh, I mean, that's, that, I, I, I agree completely uh, with that statement. Seven, no amount of earthly suffering and pain can compare with the horrors of hell. Now, we all know, we hear sometimes say things, like, like, Sproul wrote a short article, War is Hell. And, we, and there, there are people that go through terrible, terrible tragedies in this world. And yet, if we, if we really understand what Jesus is saying, as much as we can, right, hell is not to be uh, explained away by uh, that's a bad inner city uh, place to live, right, the politics of oppression that people live in. Uh, it's a, it is so terrible, right, when we think about uh, that issue that, that no amount of earthly suffering except the cross could even compare to hell. And it, it's good for me to be, to be reminded of that. Eight, there is no indication that people in hell will ever repent. Now, that, that's, that's a terribly sobering thought. 
maybe our emotions and the way that we think, we sometimes may think that, oh, I, I would think that when they get to hell, the, ter- the torment will be so bad that they, they will repent. Uh, I don't have any hope in the Bible of any verse that would suggest that someone that is sent to hell will ever have an attitude of repentance, much less escape. I mean, that's just, that's just like, that just seems to be a, such a sobering reality when you think about it. And, it. and for some of us, it's very personal, right? We, we struggle with that because we have people that we love who died without Christ. And that's really sad when we think about that, uh, that, that issue. Um, but people in hell will certainly know who God is, right? They will certainly be aware that they have rejected Jesus Christ, especially those that clearly heard the gospel, right? They'll have correct knowledge in a certain sense. But again, I'm not aware of any passage that would give us hope to believe that people in hell would actually come to saving faith or repent and change their mind or even be sorry uh, for what they did. That's strong language today, and it seems completely unfair for us to to even stop and think about that. Nine, hell is not simply giving people what they want. Now, that may be partly true, and this is a a helpful point to stop and ponder. Uh, C.S. Lewis was known for, I don't agree with everything C.S. Lewis said about hell, right? Uh, um, But he, he makes us think in a very helpful way. And he wrote that book, The Great Divorce, and he's talking about heaven and hell. And some of the things that he says in that book, um, they may only be partly true. He basically kind of comes to the conclusion. He's responding to people who are wrestling with the question of evil and the, and the existence of God. And they say, well, why does God send people to hell? And Lewis, you know, he's saying, no, God doesn't send people to hell. People send themselves there. Now, you may agree or disagree with that. But uh, Keller, you know, in his book, Reason for God, came along and he kind of picks up some of Lewis's thinking uh, and, he care, and he kind of cl- writes about it in, a, in an even clearer manner. But Piper says, there's a, Piper loves C.S. Lewis. He said, out of all of the dead people, he's in the top five of, of some that influenced me. Okay? Um, I mean, I realize Lewis wasn't a Baptist, but he still wrote some really helpful things. Uh, but, but Piper says, if people really understood what hell was, they would never choose that. And that's also a good balancing thought for us to think about. People that choose hell, right, they don't care about the gospel, they hear about the gospel, they even know that there's a book called the Bible, and they have no interest, and the way they live their life kind of sets the trajectory that they are going to hell, in that sense they send themselves there. Piper says, well, yeah, that that may be true, but if people really know what hell is like, they would never, ever choose it. And I think that is something that he mentions that really uh, made me stop and think. He says, his stress is relentlessly that people are not sent to hell but become their own hell. That's Lewis's view. And, and, and Piper says, that's an incomplete answer. There's got to be something greater than that. Right? If people really know what hell is, they would never, ever choose it, and they would certainly never, ever joke about it. Right? A lot of people joke about hell, like that's the only place that I can go, and that's where all my friends are going to be. Uh, there are no friends in hell, are there? It's, it's a place of terrible isolation. So he thinks it's a little bit misleading, uh, to to talk about people, they just send themselves there, uh, you know, w- without really knowing what's really there. He says the misery of hell will be so great that no one will want to be there. Right? Didn't Jesus say in Matthew eight twelve that it's a place where there will be weeping 
and gnashing of teeth, not to mention the descriptions in Revelation 20 and elsewhere, the, this, the flames of a lake of fire. I mean, who would want that if they really know that that is where they're going? When there are only two choices, he says, and you choose against one, it does not mean that you want the other. If you are ignorant of the outcome of both, then he quotes Romans uh, chapter 1. The person who rejects God does not know the real horrors of hell. Of course, they're blind in their sin, uh, and so on. The only time we talk about God sending people to hell that I know of is in the book of Revelation, where at the end, when people have made, he throws Hades into the lake of fire. Again, that's, that's, that's a terrible... I mean, if you thought the rich man in Hades was, was terrible, he's not in hell yet. Right? It's going to get worse, and he's not going to get out of Hades um, at that point. So he, he has a lot of other thoughts that are they're very thought-provoking for us to stop and think about. He quotes many of the words of Jesus in the Gospels to talk about what Jesus actually said. He says the reason the Bible speaks of people being thrown into hell is that no one will willingly go there once they see what it is really like. Ten, any thoughts or comments before we do our last six? Once an unbeliever dies, there are no second chances for salvation. Okay, Ray's got it. Okay, Dr. Thomas. So the rich man in Hades, you don't think he had regrets or remorse because he wanted his brothers to be warned? Maybe we'll, maybe we'll hear about that later this morning. Shh. That's actually why I'm not talking about that particular story. I, yes, uh, Bernie has a thought there too, and then this I is Jackie. Comment. Can you wait till the last breath and say, you know, I did all those Earthly, worldly, right. not wordy, but worldly things. And right. then the last minute before death, death snatch, you'd say, oh, I'm so sorry. Say it and say what? I am so sorry I did all and those believe things. believe the gospel? Yeah, I, you know, okay, people, okay. I, can, I want can you do that? Wait till, wait till the last minute. Thank yes, you. I want someone here to answer that. It's a great question. Well, yeah. It, okay, great, Matthew. Yeah. <laughs> if you're still alive and yes. you genuinely repent from your sin and you put your faith in Christ, his sacrifice is sufficient to right. save you from your sin. You know, and that's... that's the Good. Yeah. And then Steve's now, got I one. I, I we're getting over to Bernie in a minute, yeah. I wouldn't want to try to wait, though. No, I would <laughs> Yeah, great, great. <laughs> that would not be a good idea. Yes. We have a couple here, then we'll get to Bernie here in a minute. That's a good answer. Yeah, so we cannot presume upon the grace of God. Right. You know, the writer of Hebrews tells us today is the day of salvation. If you right. hear his voice, harden not your heart. Right. And um, you, you must be born again. And that is something we are all incapable of doing ourselves. Right. And um, uh, so anyways, we, if, we, if we hear the gospel... Um, we are responsible. We need to respond to it. Yeah, that's good. You know, I, if you haven't seen that little clip of Alistair Begg, someone you sent, you probably know about this, when he was preaching about the thief on the cross. He talks about it in such a funny way. He says, no one asked him the Fort Lauderdale question. Yeah. You know what he's saying there? No one asked him the, the evangelism explosion question. He just suddenly finds himself there 
uh, at, at heaven's gate, and the angels are confused, like, how, how did you get here? And they, they say, well, can you tell me what the doctrine of justification is? And he's like clueless. He's looking at them. And then, well, what about your doctrine of scripture? He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And he, what was the answer? Because the man in the middle cross said it could come. I mean, it just drove home the point. God can save people in ways that we don't know about, that don't know a lot of things in the Bible. And the thief on the cross is a golden example of that. Yeah, Brian. I think we should be careful because um, 2 Corinthians 7.10 does say that many people at the end of their life will have a worldly sorrow that leads to death. In other words, they they will regret things they've done. Oh, and you could sure. end your life with lots of regrets and right. say, I'm so sorry for this. That doesn't necessarily right. mean it's what's called a godly sorrow. It's not a godly regret. Yeah. But that, my, my, my point here, was, my basic question was, can God save someone in the 11th hour and the 59th second? And the answer would be a redounding yes, which is great. Okay, Bernie, and then Mrs. Jackie has one. I came to a new understanding of the lake of fire where things are put into it in the cease to exist. Everyone sitting here, humans, are going to experience the first death. Our hope is eternal life with God or apart from God in outer darkness or a lake of fire, the second death. And those that take part in the first resurrection, the second spiritual death hath no power. For believers, right? Amen. Right. Good. And then I think Mrs. Jackie had a thought, and then we'll and then we'll we'll, we'll make a few other comments before we, we move on. When I was when I was about six or seven years old. Can you hold that little bit far angle? Perfect. When I was about six or seven years old, I went to a old-fashioned revival meeting with my grandmother. And the topic was hell. And this evangelist was ranting and raving at the top of his voice about hellfire and burning in hell. And that probably was my first awareness of, of the Lord because I certainly didn't want to go to hell and I wanted to do something about it. So, uh, good. Anyway, that's how I came. It wasn't. It was by being scared and feared. But I had another comment. I thought in Sheol. How do you say that? Sheol. Sheol. Yeah. I thought there was a good Sheol and a bad Sheol. Well, maybe there is. Maybe it's. Maybe there's a place, a compartment for the righteous and a compartment for the wicked. That seems to be what. Uh, in the parable of rich man Lazarus, that seems to be the description of Hades there. Uh, and, and that would be before Jesus rose from the dead, I, I think. Okay, yes, Bruce. Yeah, I think just being sorry is not is a little short of uh, absolute, uh, accepting right. Christ right. and the gospel right. and just saying I'm sorry. I mean, sure. the, cry, uh, the uh, thief on the cross right. uh, recognized Christ and yes. who he was. yes. So just that's, that's laying good. there in the street after he got hit, and the the, the priest, like in the movies, uh-huh. comes over, and, and he, there's like this big thing, right. and he hasn't said anything. Okay, good. And then Dan's got a thought, and then well, this is a helpful conversation, I think, for us to think through. 
I think in understanding the, the correct sorrow and the wrong sorrow, it's illustrated wonderfully in the prodigal son. He went back to his father and he right. said, Father, right. I have sinned in, against heaven and in your sight. His right. sorrow and his faith was directed toward God. Yeah. I have sinned against you and in your sight. So I suppose you could have earthly regret in hell, but it would never be a regret that pleases God. Does that answer that uh, question a little bit? One thing I'll say, and I'm, I mean, I could talk more about this, but I think there is sometimes some misunderstanding by evangelicals when we think about Catholicism on one particular point. And I read this from three people, and it kind of surprised me this past week. Al Mohler said something. Again, these are guys I respect and love. Daryl, Bach, and even my former mentor, they all said that the Catholic Church teaches that you can have a second chance. That is not true. They do not teach that. Uh, I, I look back up at the Catechism, paragraph 1030. I'm not even Catholic, but I want to represent them accurately. Paragraph 1030, 1031, 1032. They do not teach that people get second chances. They also believe hell is eternal. They have not changed their doctrine on that. Because there are some liberal bishops, like there are liberal pastors, that doesn't change. Uh, it doesn't change this, right? That, that's just a problem everywhere. But it's just something I was kind of surprised um, that, they, that they made. Okay, Dave. Quick oh, comment. Sorry. I have another comment. Sure. You know, you can be a caregiver. Yes. And but if you have a frown on your face and you act like you don't want to do what you're supposed to do, getting paid or not, or otherwise, you know, people can sense that. That you you know, and I've witnessed death in the hospital. You don't have to say anything. And you just sit still mm -hmm. and cry, not maybe outwardly, but you can cry inside. And you don't have to say anything. Just hold their hand and say, I understand. That's all you have to say. You don't even have to say, I understand. You just sit there and cry with them. Okay. And... <laughs> what's, the, what's the point of your... It's a gift from I, God. I, I agree with what you're saying, but mm -hmm. that alone will not, does not necessarily lead someone to salvation if they're an unbeliever, right? Yeah. And you're not saying that. But it's that. not up to us, right? right? But we, it's up to us to tell people to the tell, good news. We yeah. do have a responsibility. I we, I'm fearful that we, we, we become so passive that we don't mm -hmm. do anything, and we don't even evangelize anymore. Uh, the, well, the apostles called people to faith in Jesus Christ and to believe on the spot. And we should always do that. And we should expect God to save people that same day. It, that's on the pages of the book of Acts. You know what? Yeah. We're not gods. We're just Obviously we're not gods. I mean, there's... Yeah. But that isn't, that isn't the point um, of that. Okay, someone else had a hand up somewhere, I think. Okay, 11. Uh, oh, Dave. Dave, he had his comment. Okay. If anyone wants to talk about that second chance thing later, I'm happy to talk with you. But I'm convinced that, that these esteemed men that I love and that are more God than I am just made a mistake in their thinking. Um, I'm totally convinced of that. Okay. Eleven. A Christian may struggle with the doctrine of hell. Right? Briefly, John Stott, I believe, was a Christian, but he believed in annihilationism. He did not believe that hell was eternal. I believe he was a Christian. Okay? Another influential British... I believe he's British, John Wenham, 
uh, evangelical, he really struggled with the doctrine of hell. And this is all um, written in that first chapter um, of the book I mentioned, Hell Under Fire. And he talks about, in the 70s, he, he makes some statements, right? He still believes in the traditional doctrine of hell. But then in 1991, he comes out with something called conditional immortality. And he says basically that only people that believe in Jesus Christ have immortality and will live forever, and that the unbeliever will not live forever. And he gives, a, he gives the, here's a, this is a, a just short quote. He says, unending torment speaks to me of sadism, not justice. I mean, it, it, it's an emotional topic, and it's understandable that even pastors wrestle with this. Not, not, not to mention just people in your congregation that have lost people that have not believed in Christ. Uh, so I'm just making you aware that those, those are issues that we are starting to hear more and more. Uh, evangelical Christians, they, they no longer embrace uh, the traditional doctrine of hell. I'm not saying that they're all unbelievers, but I, I think Dan and I believe it's a serious error, uh, and it really may be the start of a more serious departure uh, in, in their life. Uh, there's, a lot, there's a lot to that topic. Uh, Twelve, hell is not the most important Christian doctrine, but it's necessary because of sin. And there's a really helpful article uh, in the Nine Marks uh, short journals, one written by Kevin DeYoung, and he compares uh, hell to the ballast on a ship. I'm, I'm, not, an, uh, I'm not an expert in ship, and, and he isn't either, but he says the ballast is that center weight underneath the ship that keeps it from going over. He says that we need to hold on to it. It's not, it's not the absolute critical doctrine, right, the most important, but he said it's there. We, we, we should not abandon it, and the moment we lose that ballast, we will go off course. Uh, and so I think he, he wrote a very wise article. It's very, he says, hell is not the North Star. That is, divine wrath is not our guiding light. It does not set the direction for everything in the Christian faith, like, say, the glory of God in the face of Christ. Neither is hell the faith wheel which steers the ship. It's our ballast. And to me, that seemed to be a very helpful way of thinking about, again, very difficult uh, topic. All right, any other comments before we wrap up with our last, our last few? I think we're in 14 now, right? Well, here, yes, Jack. There's a microphone coming over to you. Thank you. I know I'm late getting in here on this, so, uh, but uh, first of all, I want to thank you and Vic for uh, the uh, shepherd visit I had with you on Tuesday at my apartment and uh, it was a very thorough one regarding the uh, the second chance for Catholics uh, I'm citing a friend of mine Mike Gendron who is very knowledgeable about uh, much more than I am about the Catholic Church but uh, where that comes about is because of uh, the uh, the dogma, the, uh, the difference between venial sin and mortal sin. I would say it doesn't come from that. And that's, uh, that's, go ahead. That's not accurate. Uh, we don't believe in that. We don't have that distinction. But that that's a that no. I, I know. I know. We do not. But even if that was true, that's not the reason why. I no. I don't they, believe they it. They don't teach that. I don't believe in that. Right. Uh, but what I'm saying is that is that. Uh, a Catholic, uh, I'd be very honest with you, the Catholic Church is an apostate church and needs to be evangelized. Right. No, no, we're not, you're not getting disagreement here. Okay. That, that wasn't even my point. Okay. I, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I, 
Yeah, I took a chance. I, I jumping in here because uh, sure. uh, they 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 they, uh, they believe that when when a baby at, at seven six seven years days old is has water sprinkled on him, he's saved. Well, they don't say he's saved. They say he's. They don't use that terminology. He's justified. Uh, they wouldn't even say that. That's uh, that's what I'm understanding. And, and then he can go through life as long as he, he he can stay that way until he commits a mortal sin. Right. He goes to mortal sin. He's got to go to a priest and a confession, right. have that sin forgiven. Yeah. If he doesn't, he goes to hell forever. Right. They believe in hell forever, just as we do. That's that was my. Point. Oh, oh, they oh they believe in hell forever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I yeah. don't disagree with you there. Yeah. The, 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 the irony there is that Catholics believe in hell when even hell forever when evangelicals are abandoning it. That's the point to take home. Well, as a it's Catholic, not, I spent the. It's not I, that we're Catholic; it's that they're teaching something that evangelicals should be embracing on that particular point. And that's that's just the big point. The, the other details, I'm not disagreeing with. You. Okay, we don't have time now, but thank you very much. Good. Yep. Fourteen. There is debate on how we understand the Bible's language of hell. Question for you: Is it literal or figurative? I have a wonderful quote by Spurgeon where he mocks anyone that says it is symbolic or figurative. Right? Amen. Can I get a couple of amens on that? Yeah. Spurgeon was wrong. Okay? And I can give you quotes from John Calvin. I can give you quotes from R.C. Sproul, all of the church fathers, and most Reformed and evangelical scholars today that believe it's a combination of literal and symbolic. And the symbolic is there because it's so terrible, you cannot explain it completely in literal language. Spurgeon was addressing the Victorian people of his day that were attacking him, and there's a context to his quotation. And so, yeah, you walked into the trap, that's fine, but at least we can learn something from that. Spurgeon, I don't believe, would have ever said that there was no symbolic language about Hades or hell. Did the rich man in hell have a tongue? No, he didn't. Because the bodies aren't there, it is only the soul. That is symbolic language right there from Jesus right, uh, to emphasize that you can't get out of there, it's terrible. And so by using symbolic language, that doesn't mean someone is a liberal Christian that rejects the gospel. That, that's a ridiculous argument. There are people that do do that, but I'm not one of them, okay? And again, there are a lot of interesting quotations uh, about that. Sproul has some great co- uh, quotations, and I have one I'm going to read this morning from John Calvin uh, that I think helps us to understand that. So, uh, I sus- Sproul says, I suspect they are symbols, but I find no relief in that, right? The symbols, the G- that Jesus used the most awful symbols imaginable to describe hell is no comfort to those who see them simply as symbols. I mean, that, that seems to me to make uh, a lot of sense in what he says. 15, this should drive us, right, not only in our teaching of the children, our preaching and all of our ministries, but it should drive us to evangelism and missions, right? That's, that's what it always has done historically. Randy Alcorn, in closing, says this, hell exists because sin has no excuse. And I like that. He also says, hell exists precisely because God has committed himself to solving the problem of evil. If God is going to be just, you have to have a hell because he has to punish sin that is not repented of. And finally, he says, hell is the only just alternative to heaven. Hell is not a torture chamber. It is a place where people are deserving justice because they sinned against God. Okay, Brian. One long, final question. Um, do you believe that, uh, or is it even orthodox, that 
hell was originally created because Satan fell. Um, as Jesus described, it was prepared for the devil and his angels, and humans follow after because of the fall. I don't know if I understood it quickly. You're saying hell was originally for devil and the angels? Well, in Matthew 25, 41, yeah. Jesus says hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. Yeah. Um, is it acceptable to believe that the initial reason there was a hell is that the, the angels fell away before humanity sinned? I mean, I would think possibly. Dan, do you have a quick thought on that? I, I, I actually don't know. That, that's, a, that's a good question. I'm kind of caught off guard. I mean, it, it, seemed, it seemed now it seems to be a both and. Right. Okay. Uh, in a sense, so I, I don't think Satan is going to be redeemed as Origin believed. I don't think the devils are going to re, re, be redeemed. And as, as one author said, there's no exit from hell. It's it's, it's it's a terrible, terrible reality to even ponder in this life. Dan can have the last word uh, unless John wants to follow up, and then we'll close in prayer. I need to return this. I I think those that are compromising. And I would say stock compromised. Right. And others. Oh, yeah, I, 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 I think I the problem the problem is serious because there is a we studied this at our outing, faith uh, versus under, our understanding. There's a conflict there and and yeah. we don't have to understand it to believe it. Right. And we have the doctrine of scripture. We believe that the scriptures are the clarity of scripture. And the obscure text should be interpreted by the plain text. Right. And Jesus is the one who has given us the plain text that are not difficult to understand. And what these guys are doing is they're flipping it. They're, they're using texts that talk about destruction. Okay, right. well, that's annihilation. They're reading those texts into Jesus' words, and they're going the wrong direction. They should be understanding Jesus using Jesus' words to properly explain those other texts. And, and in Jesus' text, there was two elements. There's almost every one of those texts, eternal mm-hmm. and conscious. Right, yeah, those are the two keys right there. Eternal and, and conscious, and Jesus' text yeah. and, uh, are clear on that, eternal and conscious. Yeah. And they're exegeting backwards. Yeah, that's good. That's and then uh, Mr. John has a thought up here. we got a, a microphone for you there. We have been talking about um, heaven and hell, but I've also heard of purgatory. What is that? Did you say purgatory? Yeah, purgatory. Yeah, we ran out of time. I can follow up with you later on that. There's a whole history behind that. That's actually what I was referring to when I, when I made the comment about the second chances, that nobody teaches that. If anything, it's the, Orthodox, the Greek Orthodox Church that teaches that, not Catholics. It's probably a misunderstanding somewhere. I don't know. Okay, let's close in prayer as we prepare for our worship. Father in heaven, we thank you for your grace to us. Again, we thank you, Lord, that in Christ hell can be avoided, Lord, because you are so merciful to us. Lord, we pray that you would help us to have that same mercy, Lord, to others who are lost in their sin, whether it's through theological error just ignorance, Lord. We pray that you would help us to have the love and compassion and the courage to witness to those uh, who are lost. Father, we thank you uh, that you've brought the men back from the outing. And again, we pray that you would bless our morning service. And we thank you for those that have ministered to the children in this hour. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.